Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Listeners, welcome back to Buried Motives. We're so glad you're here with us again this week. And it is December. Ugh, it's true. <laughs> I hate it. I hate the cold. But I do like Christmas. I don't. Bah humbug. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I love Christmas, actually. It's a lot of work, though. It is. Do you have your tree up yet? Is it shameful to admit that I have had my tree up for a little bit? No, not at all. Oh, you never know, because some people get pretty riled up if you set your tree up early. I do wait till after Remembrance Day, but I like my house decorated for Christmas. I like my Christmas decorations. I like how it fills the house up, and so I do put them up early, and it takes a long time, so I'm like, dang it, I'm putting them up for as long as I can. Yeah, it's so much work, too, to decorate your house and put up your tree, so you want to enjoy it for a while. Yeah. But I'm more so, I don't really care when people put up their decorations, but I'm more focused on when people take them down. (laughs) Christy, don't tell my secrets. For me, like I like to decorate, but once the holiday is done, it's done. Like things get put away. Oh, I don't know. It comes down when it comes down, when I get time. (laughs) The worst is right between Christmas and Halloween when you can drive down the street and on one side you see someone with their Halloween decorations with their rotting pumpkins out. (laughs) And on the other side of the street, someone already has all their Christmas stuff out. And it just, my brain, it does something to it and I can't handle it. We all have our little quirks. And I'm like, I'm sure they'll get to it. They're probably busy right now. (laughs) And I always make one of the kids have to climb to the very top to put the star on because I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My kids would usually fight over stuff like that. Well, we do have a, a yearly rotation and it's gotten so bad that we have to take pictures to prove who <gasps> did it the year before. Oh, that is so funny. Melissa's kids are very competitive. It doesn't matter what it's about. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's okay. They're going to go far in life. Yeah. I remember uh, having one of my kids at the pediatrician's and they said, oh, he's very determined. That will serve him very well later in life. I thought, I have to parent that right now. I know. I read an article in a parenting magazine one time because I have a couple of strong-willed children. And when I read it, they talked about how these strong-willed children grow up to run companies and, you know, be CEOs and do all these amazing things or have their own businesses. And so you just have to get through it, mama. And then hopefully the payout comes later. That's the Oreo cookie version of telling you your kid is whacked out. (laughs) I figured this one's going to be leader rather if it's like a girl gang in prison or of a company. (laughs) She's going to lead somewhere somehow (laughs) to be Uh, determined. I thought, yeah, right. That doctor isn't raising this kid right now. It's true. It's hard. So shout out to all our mamas and papas out there who are raising strong-willed children. That's right. And speaking of mamas and papas out there, have you ever had mom guilt or dad guilt? Absolutely. Feeling like you're not doing as good of a job as you could be at being a parent? All the time. Mm -hmm. Well, today's case is going to make you feel a whole lot better about how you stack up. You'll feel like the best parent in the world in comparison to the dirtbag of all mothers. Ooh. Not only was she an abuser, but she was also able to manipulate others into doing her bidding for her. 
I find it so interesting how some people just have that ability to manipulate any situation to work for them. And she does it her entire life. Well, in fact, she was such a master at manipulation that she was able to keep her victims hostage without the use of restraints right up until the day she would murder them. What? Yeah. So no one was safe in her path. So they just voluntarily stayed with her. They did. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Sometimes we have a hard time finding sufficient information on the murderers that we would like to discuss. And if we don't find enough, those cases don't make the cut. This one, I had the opposite problem. I found so much information that it may be challenging to fit it all into our time frame today. So just warning, today may be a bit of a longer episode because there is so much and it's all so interesting that I had a hard time picking and choosing what to put in and what to leave out. Well, and it's cases like this that people do full seasons on. We absolutely could do a full season on this one. But after today's case, after I'm done, if you are feeling like you would still like to hear a little bit more about it, I would highly recommend a book that I read titled If You Tell by Greg Olson. I give it a 10 out of 10. I'll be quoting and relaying some of the information from this book since his information is straight from the surviving victims themselves. But I will give you a little bit of a warning that it's a tough read because it's so detailed in the tortured accounts. So this whole case has a major abuse warning. And before we really get into it, I want to give a quick shout out to my friend Vanessa. Hey, Vanessa. Thank you for recommending this book to me, which led me to wanting to cover this case. Oh, and I love it when our listeners tell us about cases they want covered. I'm researching one right now that we'll be bringing you in a bit. That's a recommendation from one of our listeners, too. Yeah, feel free to reach out and let us know if there's a case you're really interested in. All right, so let's get into it. So Michelle Lynn Watson was born on April 15th, 1954 in Battleground, Washington to parents Les and Sharon Watson. She goes by Shelley, so that is how I'll refer to her throughout her case. Her father was kind of a big shot in town, but he was not a stand-up guy. Even his wife would describe him that way, that he wasn't a stand-up guy. So was he like a criminal on the side? Was he doing... No, he's just super douchey. (laughs) And we all know this kind of douchey guy. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Okay. He's a (laughs) dirtbag. That's right. So he was the track and football star during school. He always had a way with the ladies, and his family owned a couple of nursing homes. (gasps) And he actually owned his own bowling alley. So was he a master manipulator too? No. Oh. No, he's just a dirtbag. I thought that's where she learned it from. No, but she does learn it. Oh. Les eventually divorced Shelly's mom, Sharon, after they had three children together. When Shelly was six years old, her dad set his scope on a girl named Laura, who worked at his bowling alley. She had recently graduated high school, so he lied to Lara about his age to get her to go out with and eventually marry him while she was still a teenager. Oh. Yeah, he was 10 years her senior. So age is sometimes not an issue, but when you're lying about your age to get them to go out with you, that's bad. Yeah, and when they're still a teenager? She was in her teens. Yeah, late teens because she had graduated high school. So he would have been late 20s. Okay. There's lots of relationships that have a 10-year spread, but you can't lie about your age. For sure. So the very next morning after their wedding night, Sharon, Les's first wife, called Laura and asked her when she was coming to get the, quote, damn kids. Oh, no. (laughs) So they've had their wedding night. She wakes up that morning and his ex is already calling saying, when are you picking up these damn kids? Happy honeymoon. Right? Laura had no idea that Les said that they would raise the kids. Did he or was this something that his ex-wife had made No, he did. But he didn't tell his new wife that that's what was going to happen because they were living with Sharon at the time. Well, he didn't even tell her his age. No, that's what I mean. He's not the most stand-up guy. They didn't have a lot of conversations before they got married. I guess Obviously. Not. So they ended up taking Shelly and her younger brother, Chuck, who was three at the time. Laura about, had no say in the matter. What about the other kid? Wasn't there three? There was three. The youngest son, he was only an infant. So he ended up staying with Sharon. 
So Shelly's going to live with her dad. And, and stepmom. Stepmom, who probably is not overly excited at the age of 19 or whatever teenage she is when she gets married to start raising kids. Yeah, but actually she's one of the only decent adults in this whole story. Oh, really? So good on her. That would be a trauma to endure that your own mom gives you up to somebody that wasn't expecting to have to raise you. Yeah, totally. So at six years old, her mom's just like, here, you're married now. There's another woman in your life. You take them. It was noted that Chuck rarely spoke. Shelly did all the talking for him and seemed to have control over him right from the start. So already at six years old, she's controlling her little brother. Laura talks about how Shelly would tell her that she hated her every single day. She said no exaggeration. Every day without fail, she would tell her she hated her. I think that would be a normal reaction. That's just striking out. Your mom's just giving you up. Mm-hmm. Shelly was a hard-to-handle child. She lied incessantly. She started fights. She threw tantrums. She was mean and angry all the time and caused drama when things didn't go her way. Everything had to be her idea. She would even put crushed pieces of glass inside the shoes of other children just for fun. What? She did. Just to hurt them, to inflict pain. Oh, yeah. So she was a sadist right from the start. It was said that Shelly took after her grandmother on her father's side. She was mean. She abused the staff that worked at her nursing homes to the point where she would even hit, kick, pull hair, and shove their heads into the toilet. I had to read this part of the book twice because I was like, wait, she did that to her employees? So her grandma worked at a nursing home? Yeah, because remember, Les, his family owned two nursing homes, and then he had his own bowling alley. Okay. So his mom ran these nursing homes and would totally physically abuse her staff to the point of actually putting their heads in the toilet. Like that is a bad day at work. That is. So originally when you were describing Shelly as manipulating her brother at such a young age, I was thinking, oh, this is a nature case. But now that you're talking about her grandmother doing this, maybe it is nurture. I'm not sure. I think it's a little bit of both with her, to be honest. Or would it be nature because her grandmother has those genes too? It could be too. Because I'm not sure until she came to live with her father at age six, how much she had to do with her paternal grandmother. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I love the nature versus nurture debate. Me too. But it was noted that she took after her grandmother. One time, her grandmother actually chopped off all of Shelly's beautiful auburn-colored hair just because it was messy. And we'll see Shelly do this later. I've actually had that urge to do that to my daughter sometimes, too. (laughs) But this is the grandma. She just, your hair's messy, I'm chopping it off. Reportedly, though, Shelly bonded with her grandmother, and it was said that it was from her grandmother that she learned to be mean and controlling. So that's how she learned to manipulate. So possibly this example could have contributed to the horrible things that Shelly would do later in life. Oh, now we're going back to nurture. Right? It'll be interesting what you think at the end of the case. (laughs) And I'd like to know what our listeners think of this one too. Shelly's mother, Sharon, came from a dysfunctional family. She moved around a lot as her mother went through as many as seven marriages. Seven? Yeah, I saw some reports that said five and some that said seven. Sharon was a drunk who lived on Skid Row much of the time. Skid Row? Skid Row. That's what they called it in the book. It was reported that she was a possible sex worker. And when Shelly was only 13 years old, her mother was beaten to death in a seedy motel room. And when Shelly heard this news, she had no reaction. So her mother was beaten to death. Beaten to death when she was 13. And like she had no reaction originally when they told her about it. Like she was stunned in a silence. Or she had no reaction. Like she just went about her life for the rest of the time. Just went about her life. Like zero reaction. It'd be like me telling you, oh, hey, Melissa, the sky's blue. Wow. Yeah, just no reaction at all. So not a lot of attachment going on there. Mm -mm. Her father didn't want, see, and this goes back to her father being a douchebag, (laughs) douchebag, dirtbag. (laughs) That's like totally an oxymoron. Oh, it is. Yeah. (laughs) Because you douche to get clean. That's right. (laughs) 
Although you shouldn't, people. No. This is your public advisory notice. Douching is not very good for your lady parts. Not recommended. So at work, we have a whole bunch of like really old home economics textbooks. Oh, okay. And Lysol was created for douching. <gasps> Are you serious? No. Ew. <laughs> I mean, yes, I am serious. <laughs> Oh yeah, my gosh. I'm pretty sure that you can still look up the ad for Lysol. That's crazy. I'll find it. You need a proper oh. pH balance, ladies. Here you go. Right here. For complete feminine hygiene, rely on Lysol, the concentrated germ killer. <gasps> Lysol was once used as birth control as well. Oh, yeah, I bet. That would kill anything in it's there. not good for your... Oh, and here's another ad. Ads from the 50s and 60s are so bad. This one is another love mat shipwrecked. And it has a picture of a mom with a little girl sitting on her lap and the man walking out the door. And it says, on the dangerous reef of half-truths about feminine hygiene, Lysol has prevented many such tragedies. Oh, my <laughs> Lanta. Sorry, we can get back on now. But yeah, girls, don't believe that. You do not have to spray yourself. That's terrible. (laughs) Those were the ads in the 40s and 50s. So So basically, if you don't clean your lady parts well enough, your man's going to leave you. That's right. Shipwrecked. Mm -hmm. Shame on you, Lysol. Don't douche. He ain't worth it. (laughs) Well, and it doesn't sound like this dad is worth it either. No. Her father, when he found out about his ex-wife dying, he didn't want to go retrieve his son or identify her body. But his second wife, Lara, insisted. Oh, well, good for her. So like I said, she's the only stable adult in this entire story. When Shelly was 15, she falsely accused her father of raping her. The doctors reported that she was intact and had no signs of sexual abuse. They actually later found a tabloid magazine that had talked about my father raped me Mm. and they figured she got the story from that. And by the things she does later, I believe it was a lie. There was no signs of struggle or abuse or anything like that. Okay. So the family tried to go to therapy, but it didn't seem to help. She would exude control over her younger brothers on a daily basis because now they're both living with them. She got kicked out of multiple schools and jumped from house to house, causing destruction and chaos wherever she went. It was reported that she sometimes lived with her grandmother, the super mean grandma. Just in-home training sessions. Yeah. In 1971, when Shelly was 17, she met a boy named Randy Rivardo. Shelly's dad was actually eager to pass her on to Randy, so he wouldn't have to deal with her anymore. So he offered him and Shelly a job at one of the family-owned nursing homes. He's like, here, take my daughter. Here's a job. Like, what else can I do for you? You can support her this way. And now she's no longer his headache. She's somebody else's. But he's the guy, too, who didn't want to come and get his son when his ex-wife was murdered either. Yeah. By February of 1973, Shelly and Randy were married. No one from Randy's family attended the wedding because Shelly never mailed their invitations. Not even to his parents. It was just the two of them? And Shelly's family. Oh, she didn't invite his family. Yeah, she invited all her friends and family, but she didn't send out any of the invitations to his family. And it talks about how she was just terrible to his family throughout their entire marriage. Why wouldn't he invite his own family? She was just like, I'll send out the invitations. Don't worry about it. And I don't know where his family was from. So he thought that she had invited. Yeah, she just didn't. Oh, dirtbag. Yeah. But as we go through, you'll kind of see Shelly's MO is to isolate people from their Mm -hmm. families and their friends. That's often an abuser's tactic. Mm -hmm. She eventually got fired from her job at the nursing home, even though her father owned it, (laughs) because she wouldn't do her shifts. She wouldn't show up for work. 
She decided that her husband could do everything for her. She didn't work, and at home she didn't cook, she didn't clean, like nothing. She just <gasps> sat at home and had everyone else do everything for her. She has the princess lifestyle that I've always wanted. Right? But you don't want her life, I promise. Oh. And her dad would always give in and give her anything that she asked for. One day, Shelly decided that the trailer that her and Randy shared wasn't good enough for her anymore. So she injured herself. She made herself all bloody and accused a man of breaking into the trailer and raping her so that they would have to move. And this is oh. where I said, because she does this later, it makes me question if her father actually raped her. Yeah, mm -hmm. because she's repeating this story. So she was going to use this as a, this place is too dangerous for me to live in. We need a better place. Yeah, okay. someone broke in and raped me. Like, this is what you're putting me through by living here. And was she doing this to her husband or her dad? Because this was to her husband. Okay. But I'm sure she pleaded that to her father as well. The doctors and the police concluded that all her injuries were self-inflicted. And how did they conclude that? Did it say? No, just the okay. police investigated, doctors looked her over, and yeah, everything was self-inflicted. Hmm. Shelly would go around town to all the shops and charge stuff to her dad's account. So her dad told the shop owners to stop letting her do this, but she was able to convince all of them to continue allowing her to charge her purchases to her father. So a master manipulator. Oh, yeah. Just with anybody and everybody. Everybody. That's why I said at the beginning, no one was safe in her path. By 1974, Shelly became pregnant with her first daughter. Nikki was born in February of 1975. Shelly said that she was thrilled to be a mother. However, when Nikki was born, Shelly no longer had any use of her husband, to the point that she made him sleep in the car and convinced her father to deliver Randy's paychecks directly to her instead of giving them to Randy himself. Oh, <laughs> that's brutal. Right? He had to sleep in the car? He had to sleep in the car, and he didn't get any of his money. He had to go to work, but then, because her dad's the owner, dad just give me the paycheck, don't give them to Randy. And he's like, okay. When I'm sure she had a story of why it needed to come straight to her instead of him. Probably. But before long, Shelly divorced her first husband. She cleaned out all of his money and she took off, leaving her daughter with her stepmother for an entire year. What? Yeah. So she divorced him? He didn't divorce her? Yeah, she divorced him, took all his money and took off for a whole year spending that money. And then one day she just simply returned, collected her daughter and acted like nothing ever happened. The mother-in-law didn't fight to keep custody of that child? No. She was the stepmom. It was Lara. Oh, that, sorry. I thought yeah. you meant it was Randy's mother. No, she had kept them away from the mm -hmm. family. And in fact, she would raise Nikki under the false pretense that her father and his family wanted nothing to do with her. To the extent of hiding Christmas and birthday gifts that they would send to Nikki each year. With the gifts, Shelly would cut off their tags and put on her own so Nikki believed the gifts were from her instead. Oh. Dirtbag mama already. So she has no regard for her child's best interests at all. No, just whatever makes her look better. Yeah. So Shelly would meet and marry her second husband, Danny Long, in 1978. They were married in June and had a baby girl born to them in August. Samantha, or Sammy as they called her. Danny was harder to push around than her first husband was, so they fought a lot, even to the point of getting physical, and so their marriage only lasted five years. So now it's 1983, and Shelly found a new guy right away, Dave Notek. Dave grew up poor and was described as a hellion growing up, and he was punished even as a child with a razor strap. Oh, wow. So he was used to being abused. And sometimes when people have that upbringing, then the abuse later on doesn't seem like such a shocker, and they don't even recognize it. Right. He grew up super poor, so he didn't have a lot. He got into trouble, and he was punished severely. So he was perfect for her. She would seek these kind of people out. He served in the army and worked as a logger, which apparently made him an eligible bachelor in the area. 
Dave would profess that Shelley was the most beautiful woman that he'd ever laid eyes on. She had auburn hair and a killer body. Ooh, I have mm-hmm. to look up a picture. Yeah, her younger year pictures, she is quite attractive. And I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, Catherine Knight had red hair. Shelley has auburn hair. What am I doing here? <laughs> Not all redheads are crazy. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. When she's younger, she, she's she quite has it going on. Yeah, she really does. Hmm. Shelley told the girls that Dave was their new dad, and they all moved to Raymond together. Around this time, Nikki recalls a time that her mother came into her room and held a pillow over her face while she was sleeping, just so she could console her back to sleep once she woke up in a panic. And she would have been around eight years old at that time. So how did she know her mom was holding the pillow over her face? Because she woke up with the pillow on her face. And then her mom was She's panicking, can't breathe, and then her mom moves the pillow off, and oh, that's okay, and consoles her. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, super twisted. She really liked to kind of play doctor and be the savior, and she, she liked this drama, and she liked inflicting pain. Shelly manipulated Dave into marrying her on December 28, 1987. She told him she had cancer. He loved her, but also didn't want the girls to grow up without a father, so he married her. Oh. The whole process, she talks about her cancer, how it comes back, and how she's so sick, and she does not have cancer. Never did have Never cancer. Never had cancer. No, but she uses it as a way, too, to manipulate people into doing what she wants. Because if she's too sick and has cancer, she can't lift a finger around the house. Everyone else can do everything for her. So does she have a psychological assessment done later? Not really not that i could find i talk a little bit at the end about what they describe her as but not a whole lot not that i found shelly's best friend and hairdresser kathy loreno attended their wedding as a witness and she will enter back into the story in a bit so i just wanted to make note that she was actually at their wedding it did not take long until the abuse and manipulation would begin for Dave. He soon would find it hard to even function around Shelley, although his devotion never would waver towards her. One day, Shelley found him on the porch of their house crying with a shotgun in a quote-unquote suicide position, and she just yelled nasty comments to him. He was suicidal because of how she treated him? Yep, and so she saw him with this shotgun in a suicide position, whatever that means, and she just yelled nasty comments to him. Mm. She became more violent, and he became more submissive and compliant. She started to separate him from his family and friends, which is a classic abuser sign, like we said. Dave talks about how she could be sweet and fun, but then would have an uncontrollable temper. She would scream and become violent. Her temper would scare him. And then she would turn sweet and affectionate again until the cycle would repeat itself. I was just going to say, that's totally the cycle of abuse. Totally. And she does this with everybody that she comes into contact with. He said, quote, people would ask me later why I didn't just leave, take the kids and go. You just didn't do that with Shelly. You can't. She wouldn't allow it, she'd hunt you down. And when I read that, I thought, this kind of gives me Catherine Knight vibes. But Shelly Notek honestly makes Catherine Knight look more like a Girl Scout. Wow. Shelly's abuse, unfortunately, extended towards her daughters. Any object around the house would be used as a weapon to beat them with. She would use any excuse to punish them and seem to thrive off of their beatings. The girls would be asleep in their beds and their mom would start seething about something she perceived them to have done. It could be as simple as something like not being able to find the hairbrush. And Shelly would haul them out of their beds to give them violent beatings. At one time, even slamming Nikki against a wall with a protruding nail that punctured her head. Oh my goodness. She was brutal. So where did she get all this rage from? Because you didn't say that she had been beat as a child. No. She'd been treated as a little princess. Yeah. Yeah, it makes you wonder what was actually going on with her. Mm-hmm. The girls learned to wear extra clothes to bed to help against the beatings, but also to stay warm if she made them sleep outside in the cold. She just shoved them outside 
outside. Yeah. And because... lock them out for the night. And it would be, they'd be fast asleep and maybe she couldn't find something like the hairbrush and she would just get angrier and angrier and she would just start seething until she would haul them out of bed, beat them to a pulp and then throw them outside. For the whole night? For the whole night. So they learned to go to bed with extra clothing. Oh my goodness. So where are other people in this story? It's a good question. She always seems to live on a property that there's not a lot of neighbors like really close by. And the husband is feeling like he can't do anything to the point where he wants to commit suicide. Yeah. At the beginning there. And he just, his devotion to her never wavers. He becomes more and more scared of her, but more submissive and more compliant. Just whatever she tells him to do, he'll do. And whatever she's doing, he has a blind eye towards. Well, a blind eye, or maybe he was thinking that because she's so volatile, that if he just went along with everything, things would be actually better for everybody involved. Well, he actually says later that none of what happens is really Shelley's fault. Oh, well, there goes that theory. That's weird that he wouldn't even acknowledge it after the fact. In his last statements, he didn't feel like she was responsible for the things that had happened. So little Nikki would wear tights and clothing to school to help hide her bruises and injuries. Shelly would torment them emotionally as well. On Christmas Day, she would shower them with gifts and make it a picture-perfect day, only to take everything away the very next day. What? Mm -hmm. The appearance of a perfect family was important to Shelly. The house and the girls had to appear perfect from the outside. As the girls got older, Shelly stopped letting them take showers. They could only shower and use the restroom when they had her permission. And even then, the door had to be opened. She would later do this to everyone who would come to live in her house. So I'm not understanding. She wants everything to be perfect, but they can't shower. It was just a way to control them. And as they got older, she didn't want them to have friends and that type of thing. So if they're the gross, stinky kid at school, they're not going to be making friends and people aren't going to be poking around. She purposely kept them dirty to keep friends away. I think, honestly, it was just a way of her keeping control over them. Why does she need so much control? She does. On everybody, every aspect of her life. Most of the abuse fell onto her oldest daughter, Nikki. Shelly invented a type of torture that she called wallowing, which was a mix of physical pain and humiliation. Shelly would startle Nikki out of bed and make her strip naked. Then she would throw her outside, regardless of the season or weather, and make her squat and crawl around in the mud as she made Dave hose her down with ice-cold water for long periods of time. What? She had to wallow in the mud like a pig would. Nikki recalled in the winter that the mud would get an ice layer on top and the sharp shards of ice would scratch her all up. Sorry, where did they live? They move around and I don't include all the oh, different okay. places that they go, but they're in Washington. Okay. They're in Raymond, Washington. Okay. Yeah, they would get winters and whenever she locked them out or made them it didn't matter what the season was what the weather was and so she remembers as he was spraying the hose over her in this mud that it would build up these little ice shards and it would cut her up so Shelly got him to participate in the abuse too yeah she would be standing watching all of this happen so she didn't do it herself she would haul oh. her out of bed make her strip naked throw her out in the backyard and make her husband hose her down and then at the time when he's doing this she's yelling the most horrible things to her so Dave he would just do what he was told and he would just stay totally silent during the attack he wouldn't say anything. And once Shelly was satisfied, she would bring Nikki into the house and make her get into a straight hot bath to clean herself up, calling her a pig. And obviously she did this on multiple occasions because she actually had a name for it. Yeah, she did this a lot. That is awful. Nikki got it a lot and some other people do too that we'll talk about. And her younger sister, Sammy, does as well, but not as much as Nikki had to. Shelly would lock Nikki in her room or inside a closet for days on end and sometimes even for months, giving her a bucket to use as a bathroom that Sammy would have to empty as 
as her mother stood guard and watched. I guess you can't understand no. her mind. But I'm no. like, why did they have to stay in the closet for a month? If she was upset with her, you're going in the closet. And sometimes it would be... Wouldn't they be missed from school? I don't know if those times were in the summer. I, you can't explain it. Yeah. You can't explain what this woman does. It's mind-blowing. And then she didn't want to have to empty the bucket that Nikki's been using, so Sammy would have to do that, and she would stand guard. Oh, gross. Sammy would get some of the punishments, but not nearly like Nikki would. One time, Shelly shoved Nikki through a glass door and then blamed Nikki for it and beat her even more. What? Yeah, so she shoved her through the glass door. She gets all cut up. There's glass everywhere. And then Shelly gets mad at her now that the glass door is broken and beats her harder. So did they ever seek medical attention? No. She would pretend to be like a doctor. She would play doctor with them and try to fix them up. And we talk about it a little bit coming up to how sometimes when they really should have been to the doctor, they can't because the doctors would know there was physical abuse going on. Well, that's what I was wondering is how come nobody's seeing this? She purposefully does not take them. They would have so many injuries and telltale signs of abuse. Yeah, but the girls had to wear tights and long sleeves and hide stuff when they were going to school and never saw a doctor for any of their injuries. Or any doctor at any time. Yeah. For anything. No. In 1988, Shelly and Dave took their 13-year-old nephew, Shane, in to live with them. His parents couldn't look after him. His dad was Shelly's younger brother. Uh, Did they not know what she was like with her own children? No, because on the outside, she made sure all the appearances looked like this happy, wonderful, perfect home. Oh, you would feel so awful as a parent to send your child there thinking that they're going to have a better life with her and she's going to take care of them. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he was coming from the best of places, but still, they were sending their son into like the lion's den, basically. But what they thought was a better environment. Yeah. Despite being afraid of Shelly, Shane would refer to her and Dave as mom and dad. Shelly would turn her focus towards Shane. It was like a new toy in the house, making him do more and more chores around the house in the yard from sunup to sundown. She would look for reasons to punish him. Slowly, she took away most of his belongings, even his bed, making him sleep on the floor or inside a closet without a blanket or a pillow. What? Eventually, she took away his every other week shower privileges and gave him only one set of clothes so that he would be the new weird and stinky boy at school. That is awful. Mm -hmm. Shane would also be made to wallow alongside his cousin Nikki, and sometimes Shelly would even make them slow dance nude together for her own entertainment. Oh, she is twisted. Uh One time, she bound his wrists and ankles in front of her daughters and applied icy hot to his penis, making him yell out in pain. The kids would later recall that the nudity was more about humiliation than anything sexual. That is brutal. It is. There would be times when Shane would attempt to run away, but that would just fuel Shelly until she hunted him down. And this would happen with her other victims as well. She would tell them how much she loved them when they came back home, and her victims would feel torn because Shelly could flip that switch so easily to make them feel cared about one moment and then tortured the next. So total manipulation. Did it ever say how long she stayed in each state? Like how long would she say, oh, I love you and I want to take care of you before she was wallowing them again? It just said that she could flip a switch in a second, that you could be having a nice moment and then before you know it, you're outside wallowing. Later in the same year that Shane came to live with the Notex, Shelly's best friend and hairdresser from the wedding came to live with them, Kathy Loreno. So she's an adult. She's an adult. Okay. This is insane that she would even have other people into her home. Yeah, she would have company come because from the outside it looked perfect. Her kids and everybody are a slave, so her house is perfectly clean. Everything's in order. The kids look great. But she's inviting people into her home to actually live. And so you can't maintain those appearances 24-7. Oh, no. And but she doesn't. In, but she's purposely inviting them in and allowing them to live with her so she has more victims. For sure. That's oh. totally her MO. Well, and for her, for Kathy coming, Shelly was pregnant with her third daughter at this time. So she told Dave and the kids that Kathy 
Kathy's family didn't want her anymore. She was out of work and that she would be coming to move in to help her out once the baby was born. So that's kind of how she got Kathy to come. Kathy was down on her luck. She's like, well, come live with me. You can stay here and help me with the baby. They set up a bed in the hallway for Kathy. Kathy was a tall woman who came across as bossy, brassy, and fun. She was an amazing help with the kids and she thought the world of Shelly. So I want you to remember this description of her. Bossy, brassy, and fun. And this is before she moved in with Shelly? This is when she moves in. This is how she's described. And to see the state of her at the end, she just becomes a shell of this woman that she was when she moved in. Shelly was still lying about having cancer, so it made it easy to make everyone do everything for her. The lie made it more justifiable, but in actuality, she was just lazy and controlling. At first, Shelly hid the abuse from Kathy, but this wouldn't last long. In June of 1989, Shelly and Dave's daughter, Tori, was born. So this would be her third and final child. All girls. Because she loved drama, Shelly would hold a pillow over the new baby's face so that everyone would panic when the baby stopped breathing and Shelly could act like she had saved Tori's life. What? Nikki later reported that she witnessed her mother do this and said afterwards that she and Sammy started keeping an eye out for their baby sister. So I'm not even understanding that. (laughs) So if she was in the room alone with the baby, she would start smothering the baby and until the baby's like coughing and whatever, choking and whatever. And then she would holler and everyone would come running and she'd be patting the baby and oh, she was choking and I just saved her because she just wanted that drama. That's so bizarre. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure the whole time she's like, oh, woe is me. Look what's happening to me. Yeah. Oh, I'm so stressed out about baby Tori, but never takes her to the doctor. So it didn't take long for Kathy to start fading away. Shelly would order her around like her personal slave and Kathy would run around trying to please her. Regardless of how hard Kathy worked, it was never good enough for Shelly. When Shelly got upset, she would hit her with objects. Kathy would apologize and try to work harder. What? Yeah. And then Shelly would blame Kathy for making her punish her. Like, why are you putting me through this? Oh, you go back to that narcissistic view of Mm -hmm. the world is all about me and no empathy for anybody else. None. She would push Kathy down the stairs and then call her clumsy. Shelly then began to make Kathy take mystery pills that essentially kept her more compliant. So she kept her drugged for a lot of this. The other members of the house noticed Kathy's personality diminishing. Shelly would do things and then blame them on Kathy to the point that even Kathy would start to think that she had done these things that she was accused of. Well, and if she's taking medication to be more compliant, she probably did feel out of it. Yeah. And Shelly would make her children corroborate her lies. And so she was totally gaslighting her. Kathy became as scared as the kids and Dave were to stand up to Shelly. One time, Shelly accused Kathy of trying to seduce young Shane, saying that Kathy had entered his room naked in the middle of the night. She made Shane say that this was true so Shelly could punish and belittle her for it. She liked making it two against one. She also convinced Kathy that she was sleepwalking and eating all of their food. So she would restrict what food Kathy was allowed to eat. So just making her more dependent on her. Right. She would hide wrappers or she would put like a pie under her bed and be like, look at what you ate in the night. Look at all these food wrappers. You're stealing all of our food at night. This chick is bananas. (laughs) It's true. She is. It's just so mind boggling this case. Shelly started to strip Kathy of her privileges. She made her do all the chores around the house naked. She had to ask permission to use the toilet and she had to bathe outside using only the garden hose while Kathy poured bleach all over her and yelled profanities and belittling remarks at her. I'm trying to envision she just has this naked woman going around cleaning her house. Yeah, she's like their little maid, but she's naked and it's more, like I said before, it's more about humiliation than anything sexual. I'm still trying to wrap my head around why you would let anybody do this to you. I know. Like they're just staying. I know. She can leave anytime. 
the very first time. If I came to live with you and you start hitting me with kitchen objects and things around your house or push me down your stairs and call me clumsy, like, peace out, girl. I'm gone. But it probably happens so gradually. It does. That you don't even recognize it's happening until you're there. Because I know a lot of victims will say, like, I don't even recognize who I am now. Right. And she started off as being described as even bossy. So how do you go from bossy to letting someone tell you when you're allowed to use the washroom? Abuse is a crazy thing. Right? She would sometimes lock Kathy inside a closet, especially when company would come over, sometimes for hours on end. There were times that Shelly made her kids join in on the punishments against Kathy, which was hard for the kids because they adored Kathy, as she was always so kind to them. But they were afraid of their mother, so they listened. Oh, and I was just thinking before you said that they found it hard, I was like, I wonder if they actually found that as a power trip. Like for once, it's not us. No, they did not enjoy inflicting the pain, but they would be relieved sometimes when a new person came in the house and it wasn't so focused on them. Because before all this, Nikki was getting the brunt of most of her rage. And now Shane was there, so he was getting a lot of it. And now Kathy is there, so she's getting a lot of it too. If the kids did try to help Kathy, Kathy would refuse and try to spare them the abuse. She knew Shelly would hurt them for helping her. Shelly would make the kids snap rubber bands at her and would make Shane kick and punch Kathy. And he wasn't allowed to go easy on her either, or he would get taped to the wall naked or be made to wallow. Oh, no. Yeah, so he had to like kick and punch her as hard as he could. And how old is he at this time? Well, he was 13 when, when he first came. When he first came, yeah. But he's older now, and so he probably has the strength of a full grown man. Oh, for sure. He's there for quite a few years, and so is Kathy. Yeah, like if your teenage son were to punch and kick me as hard as he could, that would yeah. do damage. That would hurt. Kathy started to deteriorate physically now as well. She would end up losing around 100 pounds. Her teeth were falling out, she was bruised and scratched, and Shelly chopped her beautiful hair into chunks. When they would leave the house, Kathy had to ride in the trunk of the car. What? Yep. Kathy would get in willingly whenever Shelly would tell her to. No. Yep. She'd be like, hey, we're all going out. Kathy, get in the trunk. And Kathy would just climb into the trunk. Like the kids said, they never remembered her resisting at all. No way. If they was went, that because of the medication? I don't know. I think all of it. Because oh. she was still able to walk and talk. So it's not like she's completely out of it. If they went camping, Kathy had to sleep under the car or inside the closed trunk. This is so crazy. Sammy recalls one time that they all went to the laundromat and Kathy had to stay inside the trunk until they were done. Sammy remembers standing outside the trunk and having a conversation with Kathy. Kathy acted like everything was fine, like it was normal. Like yeah, she's probably like, for the kids' sake. Yeah, she's like, how's the weather? You know, she's like, how are you doing, Kathy? Yeah, I'm fine. So bizarre. Why wouldn't they just leave her at home? Then she can't torture Kathy. And she wants to keep an eye on her. She doesn't want Kathy to run away. So she's in the trunk. She knows where she's at. Eventually, Shelly took away all of Kathy's possessions that she had moved into the no house with. And Kathy was made to sleep on the concrete floor in the basement. One cold winter night, Shelly was extra angry at Kathy. So she made her strip naked and go outside into the freezing cold. She instructed her to climb this large hill behind the house. They moved around a lot and they always seemed to have a private area or land around them. When Kathy would get to the top and sit down, Dave quietly pushed her back down the hill, causing the icy snow to tear her skin all the way down. The girls remember watching this happen for what seemed like hours until Kathy could hardly walk. All the while, Shelly would be yelling about how hard Kathy made this on her. Oh my goodness. The next morning, it was just a large streak of blood all the way down the hill. The kids would talk about how they would feel so sorry for Kathy, but also felt relieved that it wasn't them. So this was kind of a mental torment for them as well. Mm -hmm. Because this is somebody that they like. Yeah, they care about Kathy. And it just reinforces, don't mess with mom. Exactly. If mom can do this to a grown woman, to her best friend, Mm -hmm. 
Dave would work away most of the time, but he took whatever Shelley said as gospel truth. He just quietly watched as she beat, tortured, and abused the members in the house, and he did whatever Shelley asked him to do. One day, Shelley even instructed Dave to kick Kathy in the head with steel-toed boots, and so he did. They had a pump house built in the back, and Shelley would lock Kathy inside, as well as her later victims. So a lot of the stuff that she's doing that I'm describing, she does to other people later as well. The children started to recognize that Kathy was getting worse and worse and thought that she needed to see a doctor. She was getting weaker and weaker. Almost all her teeth and hair had fallen out now, and she was always bruised and bloody. Mm-hmm. One day, Shelley found a container that Kathy had defecated in. She wasn't allowed to use the toilet and had nowhere else to go. Shelley had been napping, and Kathy wasn't allowed to wake her for permission. As punishment, Shelley had Dave duct tape her to a wooden board naked and literally waterboarded her while Shelley yelled at her the most degrading things. Oh my goodness. So I don't think I need to go into much more details, but the abuse only continues from making her eat rotten food or cups of salt to severe physical and mental abuse. In July 1994, the brain damage and lacerations to Kathy would finally take her life. Dave came home from working away and said he heard a strange sound from the laundry room, a moaning that wasn't animal sounding, but not quite human either. Shelley said Kathy was just resting and nonchalantly left the house to run an errand. Dave and Shane found Kathy struggling to breathe. She had vomited and was choking. Dave tried to perform CPR, but to no avail. Oh, no. They called the ambulance. No. What? They don't. Perfect timing because Dave says this, quote, I know I should have called 911, but with everything that had been going on, I didn't want the cops there. I didn't want Shell in trouble or the kids to go through that trauma. I didn't want this to ruin their lives or our family. I just freaked out. I really did. I didn't know what to do. You know what you do? You call the police because they're already living traumatic lives. That's what I thought too. I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. Shelly's already ruined your family. The kids are going through trauma every single day. Oh. But he panicked and didn't know what to do. So when Shelly came home, she acted so surprised that Kathy was dead. Oh, of she's course like, she did. What do you mean she's dead? She was just resting. She was like in the laundry room floor or something like that. Because that's a normal place for people to rest. Yeah. There was no air ventilation in there. It was super hot. Kathy was overheating. It was just a bad situation. So what was the actual cause of death for her? Was it aspiration? Well, there is no way to know. She just died. Yeah. Nobody ever comes looking for Kathy ever again. Doesn't she have her own family? Like, where are they? Shelly works at putting wedges between her and her family. She does this with everybody. But eventually you think you'd come looking for your family member. Oh, for sure. And she corroborates quite the story. And I will talk about Kathy's family in a second here. So when she came home, she was acting all surprised. Like, what do you mean Kathy's dead? What happened? You know? So she ends up packing up the girls and took them to a hotel for a few days, leaving Dave to clean up the mess. She first got the girls settled and then went back for Shane around midnight. So Shane was left at the house for a while with Dave. Before Shelly took the girls to the hotel, Shane and Nikki went to check on Kathy to see if she was really dead. And she was. Essentially, Kathy had been starved, beaten, and tortured to death. Oh my goodness. Dave decided to burn Kathy's body. He would burn her where they burned their garbage. He just added heavy sheets of tin and steel to hold in the heat and to make the fire hotter to burn her remains. Shane had to help Dave carry Kathy's lifeless and mangled body and toss her into the fire. He threw wood, tires, and diesel fuel on top of her to help the fire burn. It took over five hours to reduce Shelley's best friend to ash and bone. When the remains cooled enough, Dave loaded the ashes into buckets and took them to dump into the ocean. When Shelley returned, she gathered all of what remained of Kathy's belongings and had Dave burn them too. Later, Shane and Nikki found pieces of Kathy still in the burn pit. So Dave used a backhoe to scrape a foot of dirt from the ground and dumped it off of a remote logging road. He then planted a garden in the spot where they had erased Kathy from this earth. As a memento? Well, Shelley did keep a little bit of the ashes and stuff, but I think just to cover this big burn Burn pit pile. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was 
immemorial at all. So Shelly knew they needed a cover story. At first, she told the kids that no one must ever know what happened to Kathy. But then she woke all happy one morning telling everyone that Kathy had run off with her boyfriend. What? Mm -hmm. And this is the story they would tell Kathy's family, but they never bought it. Shelly was worried about Shane telling, so she threatened to pin it all on him if he told. But Shelly couldn't shake the feeling that Shane would betray her. So she came up with a false story that Shane was sexually abusing their youngest daughter, Tori, even going as far as putting blood on the young girl's underwear to try and convince Dave. Dave gave Shane a brutal beating that night. But in actuality, he didn't abuse his little cousin. But as a father, I can totally see him beating him. Yeah. Because he believed it, and he always believed Shelly. But if you really believed it when you've gone to the police, wouldn't you have, like, turned him in when you kicked him out of the house you think he would have called 911 when there was a dead person in his house right he couldn't do anything without Shelly's permission pretty much oh. Shane started to plan to run away but first he showed Polaroid pictures to Nikki that he had taken of Kathy before she died <gasps> in the photo she was naked all bruised and crawling on the floor he told Nikki he was going to show them to the police and showed her where he was hiding them good for him it's a just little a, survivor it's just a teenage boy hopefully it doesn't backfire for him is it going to backfire for him <laughs> well it does. It backfires Aww. for him. So Nikki, not knowing what to do and feeling no. a loyalty towards her mother, told Shelly no. about the Polaroids. Mm-hmm. Dr. Catherine Ramsland states in the book that I referenced that victims of sadistic caregivers often suffer from feelings of guilt. They might even still love the parent who hurt them, not quite accepting the enormity of the abuse. Dr. Ramsland said, quote, victims of abuse can still love the monster. This ambivalent loyalty might just be the predator's ultimate form of damage. So this helps to give us some insight as to why Nikki told on Shane. Because Nikki and Shane were really close. Well, and we know that bond, even if it is with an abuser, that bond is so strong and so, I don't want to use the word sacred, but so special that you don't interrupt it. And so that's why you see a lot of social workers and family services actually try to maintain that bond, even with an abusive parent. Because that bond is so fundamental in forming your personality and how you adjust to things later on in life. Oh, absolutely yeah so nikki talks a little bit later about how she's like i don't know why i told because yeah like i said her and shane were really close they had to do a lot of their punishments together and they would mm. talk often about how much they hated shelly and they had you know in their mind and together they had planned out her murder a hundred million times yeah you know and this was shane's way to finally get out but unfortunately he doesn't so sadly after this news suddenly in february of 1995 shane was simply gone Shelly and Dave told everyone that 19-year-old Shane had moved to Alaska to become a fisherman. Oh, Alaska. You know, we've yeah. covered that one before. Yeah. The place where everybody disappears. Right. It's true. Shelly would manufacture stories and events for years to come to make it seem like Shane was still alive. Like she would tell the girls like, oh, Shane called today, but you guys were at school. You missed his call. And So did Nikki ever realize or did she ever make the connection that he didn't just disappear? Well, I think they had a hunch, but she would be so convincing. But I'm sure she knew deep down. And Dave, he even took a whole day off of work to go out and look for Shane. So the girls would think, oh, he's run away or he's gone to Alaska. I'll go look for him. And then they came up with a story like, oh, no, he moved to Alaska to become a fisherman. So did Dave take part in his murder or um, did he not know about it and he was actually out looking for him? Actually, Dave is the one who kills Shane. Oh. So Shelly instructs Dave to get rid of Shane. Dave would end his life by shooting him in the head with a twenty two caliber rifle. And Shane had been like a son to him, he said. But Shelly told him to get rid of him. So he went out and shot him in the head. Yeah. And at this time, was he still thinking that he was abusing their youngest daughter? I don't know. Well, I think what had happened is Shelly had told him about these photos. Shane had them hidden in a teddy bear in one of the sheds or something outside. And so she told him, like, he's going to turn.
turn on us. He's going to turn us in. He's going to ruin our family. Okay. Dave, you got to take care of it. And that was his reasoning for not calling about Kathy was that he didn't want his family ruined. And so this was another threat right. to his family. Yeah. He believed that Kathy dying wasn't Shelly's fault, but Shane was going to make it look like it was her fault because right. he had these pictures of Kathy. Mm-hmm. So Shane's body would also be burned and scattered into the ocean. With Kathy and Shane now out of the picture, Shelly again turned her focus of abuse towards her oldest daughter, Nikki, who was almost 20 by now. One day when Nikki was working in the yard in her underwear, Shelly went outside with a knife and sliced a two-inch gash into her leg for no apparent reason. Nikki needed stitches, but they couldn't take her to the hospital because of the evidence of abuse all over her. Nikki enrolled in post-secondary school, but Shelly found ways to sabotage her, then would berate her for being lazy and not doing anything with her life. Nikki eventually was able to escape the abuse and move out. But when she was out, she didn't say anything to anybody about what her childhood had been like? Well, she does, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah. With Nikki gone, the abuse was then focused onto Shelly's second daughter, Sammy. Sammy had to now get good at hiding the bruises, and just like with Nikki, Shelly would sabotage her attempts to go to school or work. Eventually, in 1997, Sammy was able to go live with Lara, her step-grandmother, but it only lasted a year until Shelly would threaten and manipulate Sammy into coming back home. She told her the cancer was back. Uh However, when Sammy eventually was able to leave for college, the abuse then was centered around the youngest daughter, Tori. She just always had to be tormenting someone. The no-tex finances took a hard flush down the toilet. Shelly was spending more than they had and even took out loans in her daughter's names, destroying their credit. Oh, no. Dave became a paycheck to her and now had to sleep on the floor beside the couch when he was home. Well, that's one step up from the car. Yeah, which became less and less often that he would be home. And I was thinking about him having to sleep on the floor beside the couch. Just that extra little bit. Like, you can't sleep on the couch, but you have to sleep Sleep on the the floor floor. beside the couch. Yeah, just that much more degrading, right? Yeah. And I wonder if he uses being away from home for work as a defense mechanism oh as an escape yeah he does talk about that how he couldn't handle it anymore either and just was staying away and she just wanted the money Mm. when tori began to reach puberty kathy would make her undress in front of her and show her how her body was progressing she would do this on a regular basis Again, not so much for sexual reasons, but more for the humiliation of it. She would inspect her breasts and her vaginal area and then told Tori that she had to cut off a chunk of pubic hair so that Shelly could put it in her baby book. What? Yeah, honestly, like so deranged. Because that's something you put in your baby book. I don't think I'm ever going to look at like those little hair clippings in baby (laughs) books ever the same again. Yeah. So she would inspect her and stuff. And then she's like, here's some scissors. Go cut a chunk off so I can put it in your baby book. And she's like, mom, like no way. But Shelly told her that her older sisters had done it for her so Tori complied and I don't know for sure if her older sisters had or not but she told her well your sisters did it so when Tori gave her the hair Shelly laughed at her and told her that she didn't want it she just wanted to see if she could make her do it Oh, so she goes and does this yeah and then she's like I don't want that that's disgusting I just want to know if I could make you do it so just further humiliation absolutely she would also sprinkle gold bond inside her underwear and make her walk around in it despite it hurting Tori so what a dirtbag you this face right now that's how i felt researching this whole entire case reading this book it was like this really happened like there's actually a woman alive that is like this it's just mind-boggling i know that somebody like this could exist right and continue to do these horrific things for so long without anybody noticing or somebody telling yeah and to people she's supposed to love the most yeah In 1999, Shelley set her sights on a new victim, Ronald Woodward. Ronald was a gay veteran who was in his 50s. 
He thought Shelly was his friend and was so kind to let him move into the no-tech home. Oh, no. Ron was down on his luck and Shelly offered to help him. Ron was a sweet and kind man and Tori became very close to him. She viewed him as an uncle. Because remember, her dad's hardly home. It's just Mm -hmm. her and her mom, right? It only took a couple of weeks for things to take a dark turn for Ron. Shelly started with the emotional and verbal abuse towards Ron and began making him ingest pills just like she had with Kathy. I'm curious, once the other girls had gotten away from the house, did they ever come back and visit or did they just kind of stay away forever? Because it would be so scary to come back and think that you would fall back under her manipulation. Right. Well, Nikki pretty much stayed away. Sammy would come by a little bit more and she would check on Tori and Tori would tell her that she's fine. Mom's fine. We're fine. So she was thinking Tori wasn't really getting abused as much, even though Tori was. Was. Yeah. And Nikki had tried to go to the police, which we'll talk about soon here. Okay. And there was really no response to that either. So Shelly tries to put a further wedge between Nikki and Tori, telling Tori that Nikki left. She hates you. She doesn't want anything to do with you type of a thing. With her focus on Ron, things got easier for Tori inside the house. Almost immediately, Ron's personality started to change. Shelly took away most of what he owned and made him sleep on the floor. For some reason, like with all the others, Ron didn't resist. Ron was not allowed to use the washroom without permission, and one time when Shelly discovered that Ron had peed in a glass overnight, she stood in front of him and made him drink the entire glass of urine, and he did. He drank every last drop. Gross. Mm -hmm. I want to know what she's giving them to make them so compliant. I don't know. Whatever she's giving them for medication must be something pretty good, because it's changing their personalities. Yeah, it's just making them totally compliant, and it's never said what she gave to them. Mm. Shelly would work on putting a greater wedge between Ron and his family so that she could control him more and he would feel like she was all he had in life. Shelly told Ron that because he was worthless, he didn't deserve clothes and proceeded to take away all his clothing. He was made to be her slave doing chores in his underwear for about 12 hours a day. When Shelly saw that Tori and Ron were getting close, she forbade Ron from speaking to her ever again. Tori, though, would sometimes tiptoe to Ron in the middle of the night just so that they could exchange smiles. Tori was only 10 years old when Ron moved into the house because she just loved this Ron. So she would tiptoe, sneak out at night and just look at him and they would smile and then she'd run back to her bed, which is just so endearing and so sad at the same time. Shelly would make Ron hit himself. And I hated this as a kid. Did you ever have that happen where someone would like take your hand and be like, don't hit yourself, don't hit yourself and make you like hit yourself with your hand? (laughs) That happened to me as a kid. (laughs) Did you have older brothers? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had younger brothers. (laughs) Oh, okay. And I hated it. Hated it yeah but she would make him seriously hit himself full force because now dave's gone a lot it's just tori who's only 10 so why should i break a nail or exert myself you hit your own self so bizarre yeah and he would she also took away his shoes so he would have to work outside barefoot his hands and feet were always cut up from working ron would try to run away but shelly always caught him and eventually over the years he pretty much stopped trying the truth was he had nowhere else to go or probably any energy yeah when shelly would yell at ron his response would be, quote, I'm sorry, Shelly, dear. Just like Kathy, Ron began to lose a lot of weight. Shelly cut his hair all off, even his beloved ponytail. He lost all of his teeth except for just one in the front. Shelly would justify everything, saying he was fat and needed to lose weight, or that he liked his haircut. Shelly seemed so cruel. She is so cruel. Cruel is a good word for her. Shelly seemed to only be happy when someone else was suffering. One of the
one of the few times that Dave was home, Ron had fallen from the roof while cleaning shingles. Despite being obviously hurt, Dave made him get back up on the roof and ordered him to jump off. Tori said she was sure that Ron had broken his leg. What? So he fell off. They made him go back up again and jump and off again. Jump off? Yeah, as punishment for falling off the roof while he was cleaning their shingles. And I'm sure Shelly was the one to make Dave do that. Uh. Another time, Tori heard her mother yelling at Ron to be a man. She was making him jump off the deck rail repeatedly. He was only wearing underwear and each time his bare feet hit the gravel beneath him, his feet would become more and more shredded. Oh, that would be so painful. Yeah. Yeah. And every time, like, the more cut they get, the worse your injury is going to become. Trying to play doctor, which she often did, she made Ron put his bleeding feet into a tub of extremely hot water and bleach. Tori said after that that Ron started to smell like he was rotting for the entire next month until he would meet his death. Shelly would pour bleach onto his oozing feet to the point that his skin was falling off. And if he yelped, she would tell him to shut up and he would respond with, yes, Shelly, dear. Ron's health deteriorated so badly that he laid on a bench outside for days while Shelly fed him whiskey. His feet were too swollen for him to even walk. Then all of a sudden, in Shelly's style, Ron was just gone. He was murdered in August of 2003 at 57 years old. Shelly said she found him dead, but his body was later found covered with burns and bruises. Dave wasn't home when Ron died, so Shelly drug him to the pole building and dressed him in clothes, put him in some sleeping bags, and dumped him into the deep freeze for Dave to deal with later. When Dave got home from work, he was frustrated at Ron for doing this to his poor Shelly. He also marveled at her strength for being able to lift Ron into the freezer. Because he said it was difficult for him to even get Ron out of the freezer. So he was just marveling at her strength to be able to put him in there. She's so strong. Right? What an amazing wife I have. Look at the little woman taking care of a man's work. Yeah. Taking care of business. <laughs> <laughs> Dave removed Ron from the freezer. But since there was a fire ban in the area, Dave had to bury Ron on their property instead. Shelly just watched as he did this. Again, Shelly came up with a story about Ron moving away for work. Dave later would defend Shelly, saying none of what happened was ever Shelly's fault. She was the protector of the family. Shelly was a master manipulator, and her family was like a cult. Sammy would later say that there was no arguing that their mom was probably the worst person in the world, but she was their mom and the only mom they would ever have. Mm. With Ron gone, Shelly focused again on Tori. Shelly would tell Tori that she wished Ron was still around because he was much better at doing chores than she was. And it's like, okay, Shelly, then why'd you murder him? Yeah. If you wish he was still around. Why didn't you take care of the caretaker? Right? <laughs> Tori didn't clean the dog kennel to Shelly's liking, so Shelly locked her inside and started to spray her with the hose until she was soaking wet and covered in dog feces, all the while telling her how useless she was. As the abuse continued towards Tori, Nikki and Sammy decided that they had to go to the police. Like I said before, Nikki had gone to the police years prior, but they didn't even question Shelly. So how the police handled this case is a whole nother episode that we could do. Nikki talks about how she went to the police and told them what was happening when she first had moved out, and they tried to get a hold of Sammy to have her cooperate her story yeah. and Sammy was too scared to answer the phone or to talk to them so they just dropped it. Well because she was still living in the abusive household. Yeah. So they didn't even question Shelly. They didn't really investigate it at all which is super sad because oh. that could have saved so many. Well it would have at least saved Ron's life. Oh it absolutely would have. Yeah because yeah. Ron moved in afterwards and all the extra abuse to Tori. Yeah. Tori took some of Ron's bloody items as well as some of the ashes and dirt that Shelly had kept after Kathy died and hid them in the chicken coop to use as evidence against her mom. The girls started to get together to make a plan. On August 6, 2003, Nikki and Sammy drove to Pacific County and told the sheriff everything. And Laura was there helping them oh, as well. Oh, good. Tori, it just takes one person to believe you, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, Laura is just like the hero in this story. Oh. Tori was apprehended from the home. And when questioned, Dave confessed to everything. He told the officer where he had buried Ron's body. 
and what he had done with Kathy's remains. The irony of his and Shelley's arrest date was that it was on what would have been Kathy's 45th birthday. Dave eventually admitted to killing and disposing of Shane. Shelley and Dave faced multiple charges ranging from murder to concealing a death. They were both held on multi-million dollar bonds. Like I think it was like five million dollars each that they were being held on. Did they have access to that much no. money? No. No, not at all. They were in financial ruins because Shelley was just spending all their money and racking up all these were loans. Were flight and, risk? Well, I think just because it was so abhorrent what had taken place. Yeah. Two weeks after the arrest, Sammy was able to get legal guardianship over her younger sister, Tori. In February 2004, six months after being arrested, Dave Notek pled down his first degree murder charge of Shane Watson to second degree murder and pled guilty to unlawful disposal of human remains and rendering criminal assistance. He was sentenced to just under 15 years in prison. Shelley was charged with two counts of first degree murder for killing Kathy and Ron. I wonder if they went easier on him because he had suffered abuse too. He was one of the victims himself. He absolutely was a victim. And because he came clean, he was the first one to admit to everything. Mm -hmm. And honestly, he was like he did kill Shane, but he wouldn't have killed Shane if it wasn't for Shelley. Well, he was completely indoctrinated by her. Like under a trance. Yeah. So Shelley was charged initially with the two counts of first degree murder. However, 10 months after Shelley was arrested, she entered an Alfred plea of guilty, which means she did not admit responsibility, but acknowledged the prosecutor's case against her. And what? I had never heard of an Alfred plea before. Have yeah. you? No. Yeah, I had what to look it up. That? So it's kind of like you're not saying that you're responsible, but you are recognizing that there's no way you're going to win this case. So it's not an admittance of guilt, but you're willing to suffer the punishment for it? Right. Which oh, I think I've never is... heard that one before. No, I hadn't either. I had to actually look it up. Huh. And I don't know if that's just something in Washington. I had never heard of it. So That's so crazy. So in the Alford plea, she agreed to charges of one count of second degree murder and one count of manslaughter. She was sentenced to 22 years in prison. She was 49 years old at the time of sentencing and none of her family showed up to support her. The plea agreement was for 17 years, but the judge extended it to the max. Shelley had tried to blame everyone else in the house for the deaths and was genuinely shocked when the judge didn't buy it because she was so used to manipulating everybody. She said, quote, in this jail and in this courtroom and in this community and everywhere else, I'm known as some kind of horrible monster. I'm not. The judge said about Shelley that she showed, quote, extreme indifference to human life. Shelley would be described as a true sadist, deriving pleasure from inflicting pain on others, and would be marked on the highest level of the 22-point scale of evil, a level reserved for psychotic torture murderers with torture as their primary motivator, thriving when inflicting pain. She is a skilled predator who knows how to stay in control. Shelley would later try to appeal her plea, saying she didn't fully understand what an Alfred plea was, but her appeal was denied. And I had never heard of this 22-point scale of evil either. No. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So we need to start using the scale of evil. Do you know 22 is as high as it goes? Yeah. And she was labeled 22. Yeah. Like it said, Crazy. For psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motivator, thriving when inflicting pain. And she was like that right from like right from six the years start. old. Yeah. She was right from the start. That's crazy. So there's a little plot twist. It is believed that Shelley killed another man <gasps> named James Mack McClintock. He was an 81-year-old veteran who Shelley was hired to care for because of her ties to Ron. So this was while Ron was still living with them. Mm-hmm. Mac changed his will to include Shelley and then suddenly died from blunt force trauma to the head. Shelley said he fell out of his wheelchair and died. This was right after he changed his will to include her. He just happens to die. Shelley was awarded some money right away, but was told that after Mac's beloved dog passed away, that Shelley would inherit his home. 
And as you guessed it, it did not take long for Matt's dog to pass away and Shelly got to have everything. Was it blunt force trauma to the head? No. (laughs) She probably ran him over. She ran him over? I think so, but I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to go back in the book and look. Oh, man. There was no evidence to prove that there had been any foul play on Shelly's part. But is it even a question? Like, come on. No. No. She She totally totally did did that. Yeah. Yeah. I could have gone into way more detail about like Max's story and all the other stories, but there's just so much about Shelly's life that I cannot possibly cover it all. But this is totally suspicious mm-hmm. with what happened with him. So a little update on everyone before I end. Dave was released from prison after serving 13 of his 15-year sentence at the Monroe Correctional Complex in 2016. So he's now free. He now lives on the Washington coast and works at a seafood processing plant. All three of Shelley's daughters have grown up to be healthy and remarkable women and have maintained relationships with one another. But here's the kicker. Shelley will be released from prison at the Washington Correction Center for Women in Gig Harbor in 2022, which is oh. so soon. So this coming up year, Shelley is going to be released. Like not on parole, but nope, she will have served her time and she will be a free woman. And she still insists that she didn't understand the plea and isn't responsible for hurting anyone. So she's learned nothing in her 22 years in prison. She's still saying that today. Yeah. So she's going to be released next year, ladies and gentlemen. And she has no contact with her daughters now. No, I think Sammy had some contact with her for a while, but I'm not 100% sure. So I wonder if there will be terms on her release. Not that I've read. In her sentencing, I didn't see any terms. That does not seem like she served a long enough time for all of the things that she did. Right. Yeah, I mean, pleas are great because then you don't have to worry about them getting off and not being punished. But at the same time, pleas can not give them enough time for what they've done, even for all the child abuse. Like, I feel like this is the type of woman that should never walk the streets again. No, I was going to say she shouldn't have any contact with children, but she even manipulated adults and abused adults. Yeah. Full grown people. Ron was in his 50s. Kathy was in her 30s when they came to live with her. It's so scary that she's going to be out. So talking about that, Sammy says this. Quote, I just wanted people to finally really know the truth. When my mom comes out from prison, I don't want her to be able to hide it. She's the biggest manipulator of anyone I've ever met. I don't think she could ever outgrow that. I don't think that she could ever change. So I just wanted to save other people from her manipulation. So beware, listeners. She's coming out. Wow. And how strong of her daughters to share all of that trauma just so that people know and are aware that that happens. Absolutely. I would highly recommend that book. And I think that's why they did the interview for it. The book again is If You Tell by Greg Olson. And it goes into way more detail than even what I cover today. So fascinating. So that is the shocking and vile case of the master manipulator, predator, and sadistic dirtbag tormentor, Michelle Notek. What a manipulator. Yeah, that's just the only word you can use to describe her. It's just so crazy to me that the people stayed, that she just had such a hold on them and was able to, from a young age, able to control everyone in her wake. I keep wondering, like this is what I'm thinking in my head, is that what could she have done if she had used those skills? towards something that was beneficial and good, right? Yeah. You find that a lot with certain criminals and stuff. Like if you could have used that for good, how much you could have changed the world. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for that enthralling case. (laughs) Was it a little much? As I was writing it, I was like, maybe this one's a little much. (laughs) 
it's always hard to hear how people are abused and manipulated to the point that they can't stand up for themselves anymore. Mm -hmm. That's always hard to listen to. Well, you definitely delivered on an enthralling case. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I'm glad that these girls have grown up to, you know, most of them are married. They have kids of their own. They have these happy, healthy relationships and lives. So, which is such a miracle. It really is. Yeah. But join us next week when Melissa will have another case for us. That's right. I'll be bringing you a Canadian case next week. Ooh, bringing it back to Canada. That's right. Not really what we want Canada to be known for, (laughs) but... (laughs) I always find the Canadian cases so interesting. I think, too, because Canadian cases aren't always as publicized as the American cases are. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. But I really didn't think that this case had been really publicized either. I had never heard about it until my friend recommended the book. So fascinating. Well, that's it for us. Enjoy your December... If you don't have your tree up, have fun doing that if you do. (laughs) Or don't feel the stress or panic. Put it up whenever you get around to it. Take it down whenever you get around to it. No, you take it down right after New Year's. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe Christmas isn't your thing either. So don't even put up a tree if you don't want to put up a tree. (laughs) There's no control or manipulation going on here. We support you in whatever decisions you make. That's right. Except the decision to be a dirtbag. We don't support that. (laughs) Don't be a dirtbag. Don't be a (laughs) dirtbag. But do be our listeners, and thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, everyone. See ya. Bye. Let's get recording. Well, go. (laughs) Small town drama. (laughs) She cracks her neck and we're ready. Which is not what you're thinking right now. I can tell by your eyes. Maybe I'm a bit weird, but that's me. No, for you, I would just judge. (laughs) I'll just give you the eye. All right. Are you going to cut all that out? Because I probably shouldn't say screw you. I want to give a quid, a quid, a quid, a quid, not a squid or a, a quid, quid, but a quid. Can I say douchey? <laughs> not technically a swear, is it? I'm, I'm leaving it in. Can you hear me sanitizing my hands, everybody? No, that's a bong pun We're riding down the douche canoe. <laughs> Why'd you break up? I didn't use enough Lysol. Well, that goes down the toilet. I know I should have called 9191, because <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> You're worth the edit. That is what I had written, but I didn't say it that way. So jelly, 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 jelly. Her brains are jelly. <laughs> no, you already missed it. You got to listen to the episode. <laughs> all right. Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. 
Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.